I'm the child that throws the fit or I'm yeah. the one that makes everybody happy. Like, what's your role? Are you like the hero child? Are you the scapegoat? We all have roles in our families and we act accordingly. If you remove yourself, if you're the one who's usually the, I call them like the emotional Sherpa, you're the one that comes in. You're like, I can't believe this is happening. You express <laughs> the emotion. You might cry. You get angry. If you don't do that, who fills your role? It might be interesting to, to watch because somebody will fill your role. Have you ever wondered whether there's actually a sustainable way to balance a healthy and meaningful life with your busy schedule? Well, you're in luck, Balancer, because I did too. And the Balance Theory podcast is now a dedicated space to be curious in finding a balance that just works. Because since we're being honest here, balance isn't a one-size-fits-all. I'm your host, Erica, and let's dive into today's episode. All right, Balancers, today's guest is a licensed marriage and family therapist, YouTube creator, author, speaker, and passionate psychoeducation facilitator known for humanizing mental health. With a master's in clinical psychology, she has built a successful practice in Santa Monica before bringing her education and expertise to the masses via social media, which I'm so glad she did because that's actually how I stumbled across her work. I've been uh, binge watching her YouTube, which I will link in the show notes, but I'm so excited to have her on the show today. So Katie Morton, a Warm welcome to the Balance Theory. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. That's no, great to have you on. Um, I, I'm curious, kind of as a starting point. So you do you work with families, you work in relationships, you're an advocate for mental health. These are like really, really big topics, and you talk about a lot of, I guess, subtopics within and across all of those. In your experience, in your practice, what's an area that you personally really, really enjoy speaking about specifically? It kind of changes. I know that sounds weird, but it depends on what I'm passionate about at the moment because being online forces me to research things I don't know about, hear from my audience about things that I didn't realize was you know pertinent to them at the moment, right? And that's why I love what I do because it's always changing. Mm-hmm. And lately I've been really interested in um, control and learning about control and the need for control and the feeling um, that it can give us. I've been diving into it personally in my own therapy and also with my audience. Um, but it's run the gamut. Um, I wrote a book traumatized because for many years, a lot of my audience was talking about trauma and it's not something that I specialized in. And so I spent, I don't know, the greater part of two years just researching it, understanding it, what's happening in the brain, all of that good stuff. Um, but yeah, this is my new, my new interest, I guess, lies in like this faux control and how we, as people try to glom onto it and create it, even though that's not really what we're needing. And that's not actually the fix. That's super interesting. Um, It's almost like one of those um, false promises in life that you have control over things when you really don't. But it's interesting. Like, I mean, I've kind of thought about in the past, not to the level you're speaking of, but um, I'd be interested to to kind of hear where that takes you. But that's really cool that your audience kind of leads you on different growth journeys, depending on what they're interested in. And I guess that would keep you on your toes as well and growing. So no, interesting. Um, I guess one thing I'm personally interested about when we talk about balance, a very, very key pillar of that. In fact, one of the three pillars is relationships. And so navigating that and learning how to optimize them, I think is really, really important because they can be such a beautiful part of our life. So I think one thing we get tripped up on is when we need to end relationships. And I think that can be really, really tough, especially when we've had people in our life for so long, but potentially we're at a crossroads where 
that relationship is no longer serving us or one of the parties or both the parties have grown and it just looks and feels a little bit different. So for anyone listening who may be in that situation, doesn't really know how to shed it or create some boundaries and space, can you just talk a little bit to the point of ending a relationship that we probably should cut off? Yeah, and it is tricky and we do tend to stay longer, especially for those longer term relationships, be friendships or romantic relationships. Um, The best thing that we can do when it comes to knowing when to end is to take some time and space from that person if you can and consider how you feel when you spend time with them versus how you feel when you don't. That's always like a good place to start. I think of that in a lot of things in life. Like, is this like filling me up or is this draining me? Mm. And it's not that we can't have ebbs and flows in relationships, right? There's going to be times when a friend or a romantic partner is needing more from me. And there's going to be times when I'm needing more from them. But as you kind of reflect, how overall does it make you feel? Are they supportive? Are they showing up for you? Are they not? I think that's like a good key thing to start out with. And then I love using the miracle question with people. And the miracle question is essentially like if you woke up tomorrow and all your problems were fixed, but you can apply it to anything. So in relationships, you're like, if you woke up tomorrow and you know you didn't feel as stressed or your life was better, or let's say the the person finally did what they needed to do or your relationship was perfect, like how would you know? And that's a great practice for a lot of us who struggle to admit when things have gone wrong and when people have let us down because we'll be like, well, you know, we try to make like, they did X, Y, Z 10 years ago and that was great. Or they showed up for this. Yes. And it's really hard. Like I've had, it's interesting you ask these questions because I have a lot of friends and family members going through divorce right now of all things. And it's hard for people to admit when it's not working and when it's more doing more harm than good. And then inevitably we get out of it and then we can see. So there's always this question as a therapist, I'm like, okay, why are we so blinded when we're in it? And it's because of the love and relationships don't end just because of a lack of love relationships end because the dynamic between the two of you isn't working anymore whatever it is that you need to glean from relationships, it's not giving that, you know, that's why I kind of love like pop culture being like, it's not giving, you know, (laughs) it's not, (laughs) the relationship's not giving. And so take some time, do the miracle question, be honest with yourself um, and see what is revealed. I mean, it's, I think that's always a, a good place to start. And then if you feel like there's a couple of like key pieces where the relationship I believe should end because as a therapist, you kind of let your patients figure it out for themselves. I'm not going to tell you one way or the other, Um, but there are key things. If you've ever been harmed by this person physically or emotionally, if they are abusive in any way, you feel scared. They've ever scared you. There's, I don't believe there's really any coming back from that. Um, When it comes to cheating, if there's no apology and correction, and if you aren't able to move on, it's never going to resolve. I know that sounds really crazy, but people will stay in those relationships and not realize that they still don't trust them and they're still checking and they still don't, the, the foundation has been broken. Sure. But it, it can be healed, but you have to decide you are going to do it. Um, and if they don't respect you, and that's a really key piece, meaning if something's important to you, is it equally important to them? Will they allow for that? Will they will they show up for you in that way? Do they support you? There's this thing in therapy we call like bids for attention. And what that really means is that when let's say, let's say we were even just friends and I 
I come over to you and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so excited about this thing that's happening. And I'm telling you about it. And I'm excited. If you meet me with excitement, that's, I bid for attention and you took that bid. Now, if you play it off, like, oh, you're always doing stuff like this. It's not that serious. Like last time you did this, it ended up, you lost money or something. Then my bid for attention wasn't met. And there's a lot of research to prove that when these bids for attention get returned positively with excitement, where you meet the person, that means the relationship is viable and it will sustain. But when these bids for attention start not getting returned, we find either the relationship is already on the decline and it is in the process of ending. That process could be one year, five years up to the people in it. Um, But we also just find that the longevity of the relationship is not there. Super interesting. I think a lot of that um, is really relevant, like in a romantic relationship. But if I may ask you more specifically within, I think, well, I mean, I've definitely been in this situation in the past in the context of a friendship group where potentially you have a friend, a, a relationship with one person of a larger group that's degrading. And there's that awkwardness of wanting to create space with that single person, but not wanting to create issues in a wider group. I feel like this happens quite a lot. And I think naturally, like, it's really nice to have a big group of friends, but for so many years with so many personalities that grow and change all the time, I think it's quite natural to have these fallouts. But I think it's probably a situation a lot more people find find themselves in than probably what we speak about. And so just to anyone listening, if it's not a case of cutting it off and never seeing them again, what are some really healthy ways you know, subject to us having done that reflection and realized, okay, this person now is draining my energy. They're no longer giving me energy. What are some maybe tips, just high level, you could give to anybody listening to create that space boundaries, anything just for themselves to feel not, you know, when you're kind of very apprehensive before you even get into a situation, you're apprehensive with what you're going to say. You have to really think about it. It doesn't feel natural and flowy. That, that's the kind of situation I guess I'm alluding to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very common too. Um, boundaries are at first to understand what boundaries are. People talk about them all the time, but they often think that they're requests, like "please stop talking to me this way," "please don't treat me in that manner." But we can place requests, but that's not a boundary because the person has to do something. A boundary is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like, if you keep talking to me this way, I am not going to be around as often. That's a boundary. So just remember that one because people talk about boundaries like it's like you can control someone else and you can't. Yeah, that's that's a good point, actually, because it's like we set the boundary. It's not conditional on someone else's behavior. Exactly. So when it comes to that, you know, a friend, a friendship is ending, but you're not going to like not speak to them because you're part of this group. So you know that they're still going to be there. You're still going to have to be cordial or whatever feels right for you. Now we'll have to do what I call like a little bit of internal research. So notice when you're out in a group, if you're able to keep space from them and how that feels, because it might be okay. It might not. It's up to you. It's up to how it feels to be out and to not be engaging with that person. Let's say they were like your best friend there's going to be the, you know, it just depends on the situation. So notice that because then my next piece of advice is that if you can still engage in those groups, because I don't want you losing friends because of this one friend, then make sure that you, there's just little tidbits of things, right? Like you can make sure you show up with someone else. It sounds silly, but usually when you show up to something, if you're sitting down, if it's a dinner, you're going to sit down near each other. So that person will be seated somewhere else. There won't be this weird, awkward, like, where are you seat, like sitting? Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Um, Find a buddy. <laughs> exactly. And have like the buddy system. There's also a big piece that I think 
we don't like to engage with as much because we're conflict averse. Everybody's conflict averse, but it, it is most helpful if we can have a conversation. I yeah. know it's not ideal. I know everybody just cringed and was like, mm. <laughs> but if we can say something to the effect of like, you know, it, this happened, it hurt my feelings. I just need some space. That's fair. Um, or, you know, I feel like we're just kind of falling. Like I even, I've had friendships end in a bunch of different ways as I've gotten older. It, it is natural. And I feel like you kind of whittle it down to, you know, your close, I don't know, like five or six friends kind of, but let's say, you know, I mean, one of my friendships kind of just, we had a conversation about it and then she still wanted to work on it and I didn't. And then it just kind of fizzled. And then I've had like blowups where I try to have a conversation and I'm not perfect either, by the way, just because I'm a therapist doesn't mean that I do everything perfectly. Um, but you know, we had like argument and then we just never, it never fixed itself. We never came back together to try to make it work. Um, and so know that you can have a conversation and a conversation should go something to the effect of like, this is what has happened. Keep it personal. No blaming language. This is what has happened. This is how I feel. This is what I need. So just keep it in those three kinds of chunks. Stick to the point, stick to the facts and get out and give them time to digest. Um, mm -hmm. But in those group situations, I think buddy system's great. I think also just initially, like when you get there saying, hi, good to see you. And then you move away. So mm -hmm. you're like, I'm acknowledging your existence. I'm not just, because that's the thing that can really like, cause friction in a group is when one person is agitated because the other person is pretending they don't exist. So it's best to like acknowledge them, move away and just yeah. keep yourself busy. And if it doesn't feel comfortable, then you might not want to engage in those groups anymore. You might want to have conversations with other people about the fact that you're not that close with them anymore. Again, not to gossip. We're not sharing like, Oh, they did da da da, but you can easily say something to the effect of like, Hey, you know, I've had kind of a falling out with this person. Um, so I won't be coming, you know, mm. and yeah, no, I think, I've done that. Go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say, I think, um, I think those are all really, really like useful tips, very practical little bite-sized bits of information, right. That might apply to some situations, might apply to others, but I think just good overall to think about and digest as we're going into these group situations. Cause I think whether you're listening now and you're in that position or not, I think it's inevitable to happen at some point, not that you're going to have a falling out with people, but just that you grow apart. And sometimes that awkwardness does present. So I think just having these tips kind of top of mind is good, but you did touch on something that I wanted to ask you about, which is um, dealing with kind of explosive people or situations. So just to give you an example, I mean, I, I'm assertive, but I'm not confrontational and, and I'm not, mm -hmm. I think I have a very high tolerance for anger for me to erupt is a very rare circumstance um you know diplomatic is kind of how I'm known by my friends and family even in situations where I should probably like you know have a tantrum so when I come across those people it's very jarring for me because it's such an expression that takes me so much to get to whereas I I mean I've done I've worked with a therapist so I understand people have like different tolerance windows for different types of emotions um but but that kind of engagement can be quite awkward and jarring as I said um even I mean this is so random but even the other day like in the gym this random girl like said something to me because I was like co-sharing a sink with her but just like very aggressively and I was just like so taken aback and didn't really understand the situation and so I guess just for those people listening who resonate and are maybe themselves also non-confrontational do you have any tips for dealing with those situations just because I feel like I, I can take that on as well a lot emotionally and, and feel really like 
cut up within within myself it's something I think about for days and days like even to this day I'm thinking what do I do to that random girl in the sink you know and it's so irrelevant <laughs> and she could have just yeah. been having a bad day um but but just for like those explosive kind of personalities which I think we all come across from time to time everyone's dealing with their own thing I, I totally get that but just any tips to kind of distance yourself from their carnage or just deal with that situation generally yeah, that, that is tricky. I'm the same too. I'm, I'm, I'm conflict averse, but I can be assertive when I need to be. Um, it's interesting when people are explosive because you're right. Oops, excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry. Oh, good. It, it's interesting because we, when we are conflict averse, we tend to run into these people because everybody's different. And, and you are right that people are dealing with their own stuff. It actually has nothing to do with you, but that doesn't make us feel any better. I always hated when my therapist would say that, well, it's actually not really your, you know, you didn't do anything. I'm like, but it still feels terrible. Um, yeah. I'm feeling it. Like it's my problem. <laughs> yeah. And then because we don't like conflict, we're like, we spin on it for a while. Like, what did I do? Yeah. Why did I upset them? Yeah. That girl at the sink, geez Louise. So <laughs> the, the real answer is in acknowledgement. I call it like a hug and roll. So acknowledgement and walk away. So it's like, because people, when they're spinning out, there's nothing we can do to calm. They've already reached the peak time, right? Like you and I know if we think about, you're like, for me to get angry, like it's a rare occurrence. And that might be the same for that person too. We don't know, but they might also just explode because they don't know how to let something out little by little. They wait until it's too much. So all that to say that when this happens, I find the best way to deal is to acknowledge, to say, I hear you. I'm sorry. I mean, obviously in the sink situation, that's a totally different type. But if we know someone and they're very angry, tell them what you've heard. I can I can see that you're very angry. I, I understand you're upset with me. So acknowledge very quickly. Then we say, but clearly you're too upset to have this conversation. I'm going to walk away or I'm going to hang up. And then you do. Now, people might be like, but that's going to make it worse. They're going to get so angry. That's not your problem. It's not when someone is at that level of agitation, that's not a time to have a real conversation. A real conversation can't be had. So you're not yeah, going to resolve anything. You can anything. never speak from truth when you're emotional. It's impossible. Exactly. So I think that's what the, the key piece is there. And so <laughs> we don't want to exacerbate it by saying like, no, I didn't, or like fight, like meeting them where they're at. That's never going to make it any better. It's only going to like cause like a real explosion. Um, but I find the hug and roll, like the acknowledgement and the the walk away or the, the takeaway or the hang up. And if they call you back or they text again, like you don't have to reply. They give you full permission to just not reply because you've already said your piece. I, I see you're upset. I understand that when I said that, that was hurtful. You could even apologize. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, but I'm going to have to walk away. You're, you're clearly upset. We'll talk about this another time. Mm. And I know that's hard for people. I know that we get, it's very, I don't even know how to explain it like physically, but that feeling when you encounter the conflict and the person is like agitated, you, you feel it like viscerally, like it swarms your body and you're like, yeah, it's like a hot flushing <sighs> stress emotion yeah, feeling. <laughs> And that's because we go into fight flight. It's a danger to us. So we're readying ourselves to take action. And the best action we can take is to acknowledge and get out because otherwise you're going to get pulled into it. You could say something you don't mean. They could say something they don't mean. Yeah. We can't take it away. We can't go back. And that's, I think, where a lot of people fall into problems in romantic relationships 
have friendships too, but I find romantic more is it will try to fight through it. And that only leads to more difficulty because like I said, things will be said you can't take back. You won't even mean those things and you can really damage the relationship. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, for sure. I think um, I think the hardest part of all that is almost stepping over your ego to because often you want to protect yourself in that, you know, and stand up for yourself in that moment. But, you know, if you're looking at it objectively, you're so right. Like even you probably will say things emotionally like, my mum always told me growing up, like count to 10. And that's just a metaphor to just take some space before you like, you know, think before you say, and it's, it's true because if you act from that place of emotion, you're likely to say something that you don't mean. But I find that the hardest part, like kind of battling with myself of, well, I want to be assertive and, you know, correct where I think this person is misunderstood. But if you remember that in that moment, nothing's being processed other than their emotion is futile to, to give it that space. And I like your suggestion to kind of approach it objectively being like, I heard, I understand this, you know, just be objective about it. Don't make it about yourself. Don't make it about like what they've said. It's just an objective response. And then you can kind of have that conversation later on. I think that's really interesting. Um, and as someone that doesn't like conflict, I, I think that's workable. So that's a thumbs up from me. <laughs> um, but I think, <laughs> Um, one thing you spoke about lately in one of your videos, which I found super interesting and can relate on a few levels actually, was this idea of regressing when you're around your family. So the context of, of what you were talking about was maybe you get, you, you've, you know, maybe moved out, don't live with your family full time. You've done a lot of work on yourself, but then you find when you have family dinners or family occasions, you find yourself being re-triggered as though you were back in your 18 year old self living at home with your family, right? With maybe all the habits and thought patterns you had 10, 20 years ago before you'd done work on yourself. And I find this really interesting because I've spoken to a lot of people about them having like anxiety about seeing their parents. And it's a really like rock and a hard place type situation because you have so much love for them. But, you know, as you grow up, you realize no one's perfect and, and potentially they contributed to certain limiting beliefs you've got now, which you don't hold against them, of course, but it does sometimes provide that switch and trigger to put you back in, in, in a previous place. So I just think this is like a really interesting point. And I'm just curious to hear your thoughts for anyone feeling that, having that kind of apprehension before seeing their family, any kind of tips on how to navigate those situations? Yeah, it's, it's interesting that, that urge to regress. And it's really the best way I like to describe it. And I don't know why I'm, I'm big into like metaphors and analogies. It helps me like, love it. Yeah. It It helps it gel. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know, um, it's like, you know, the song that your family listens to and the dance that goes along with it. And like, as you get closer to your home, you like start to hear that music and you can't help but dance along. And, and that's, I, that's why I always loved in school, we learned like, it's called the family dance. And like each person plays a role in this dance to make it work. So you don't step on toes. So nobody gets bumped. Right. 
And that's why we do it is it's familiar and it's comfortable. And we remember that song and that dance so well. And our new song and dance is usually for a huge chunk of our life is going to be younger than that song, right? We haven't been doing this new dance for as long. And that's why. Um, it's not as ingrained. Exactly. And so give yourself a little compassion. It's very normal. It takes a long, I mean, you have to be, if you move out when you're 18, then you need to be, you know, almost 40 by the time the new dance is different. And that would mean that like when you left, you started doing the new dance. So give yourself a little, <laughs> a little compassion. Um, my, my best advice is to, before you go, to consider how you get pulled in. And I know that might be an easy answer. It might be hard. Like for me, um, it's, it's dynamic between when, if my brother's there as well, it has to be the whole family. It has to be me, my mom, my brother, and I like all gelling in this certain way. And there has to be some kind of stressful situation because then we all go into our roles. Boop, boop, boop. And like my mom will get really agitated because she doesn't like conflict. So she'll bottle it and like then explode. And then my brother and I like joke about it. She gets mad that we're joking about it. Like it's this whole, and you, I can see the steps. So consider when it is when you were last there, what's the most uncomfortable for you? What did you feel? When did you feel yourself regress the most? Again, might be an easy answer. might not be. Do a little in, inner detective work. No judgments. We're just figuring it out. And those are the things that you're going to need space from. So in my situation, sounds crazy, but as like, you know, when they're coming, you hear the music get louder and mm -hmm. you can kind of yourself get into this role. I encourage all of you. I love your mom's advice of take 10. I always encourage people. If you start feeling it build, that's a good time to go to the bathroom. Am I going to act in this way? It gives you a chance to decide how you want to act, not react. Right. Mm -hmm. So am I going to this with like care and compassion and like patience, or am I going to do what I used to do, which is I'm the child that throws the fit or I'm yeah. the one that makes everybody happy. Like, what's your role? Are you like the hero child? Are you the scapegoat? We all have roles in our families and we act accordingly. And so that's a good, like, just take that and you can use it and you can get away and you can, ah, okay, she's doing that thing again. <clears throat> Give yourself some space. Other ways that we can navigate that aren't going to be as easy or maybe comfortable, but it's just changing dynamics. This can be conversations we have ahead of time. Communication is really key to solving any of our issues. We just don't like to do it. And it's because it can be uncomfortable. <clears throat> we might be addressing a parent and saying like, hey, I know that we usually get in an argument. I don't want that to happen this time. This is how I've seen it unfolding. Again, I know those conversations are difficult, but it can really help you and them find a new way to, to interact. Mm. Maybe it's sibling, maybe, you know, but make the call, talk to them. And they're, they can't deny. You're gonna be like, I know we usually do X. Again, mm. keep it personal. I know that I end up doing that. And then you do that, you know, tell them what you see, the pattern that you've figured out. How can we make it different? We can have those conversations up front. But then there's other things like if we have a parent who is a helicopter parent, super controlling, maybe they're narcissistic and they make it all about them. And it's very toxic for us. And so we go into this old version to protect ourselves. That's going to mean that it's not ever until they work on themselves or we work on the relationship, it might not be safe for you to stay at that house anymore. You might want to stay in a hotel or stay with another family member. Do you have a sibling that lives nearby or a cousin? Stay with them. I know people can be, can say, well, my mom would never allow for that. She would be so offended. Which is it then? Do we not want to have the conflict and, and go back in time and act in a way we don't, it's not authentic to us anymore? Or do we maybe want to have a conversation with our parent about the reason that we're not going to stay? It's like picky battle. We, 
Yeah. And so, and I know a lot of people would purposefully like throw themselves on the sword. And I just always ask this question, like, is that always your role? Are you always the one throwing yourself on your sword? Can someone else tolerate a little bit of discomfort so that we can all get along? Um, So those are just some of the things. I mean, obviously every family is different. Every dynamic is different, but do notice if you're doing it out of like self-preservation protection, or if you're doing it out of a pattern, because patterns can be shifted and that's, that can be communicated. You can act differently and watch your family. Like if you remove yourself, if you're the one who's usually the, I call them like the emotional Sherpa, you're the one that comes in. You're like, I can't believe this is happening. You express (laughs) the emotion. You might cry. You get angry. If you don't do that, who fills your role? It might be interesting to, to watch because somebody will fill your role. Mm. Grab a bag of popcorn. Because it's not about you. It's about this dynamic, right? It's Mm -hmm. this pattern. And those things can be shifted more easily. But if it's you're acting out of protection, meaning there's like some kind of abusive manipulation type behavior, then that might be best, like I said, to stay somewhere else, to consider your boundaries and removing yourself from those relationships in a way that feels a little bit healthier. And that's something you can obviously, you know, work through with your own therapist. But those are just some of the ways to prevent ourselves from like completely regressing. I think too often we just go into it. I'm so excited to be home. We don't recognize the the effects. So take some time mm-hmm. and do the internal detective work. Yeah, I love, 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 love that. Um, especially the, you know, the bathroom tip's so simple and it basically just gives you a minute to break that. Um, because, you know, if it's, if it's like we were talking about a neurological pathway, it's an automatic response, something you just do out of habit because you've done that for 20 years of your life. If you give yourself a moment of pause, it allows you to break that automatic cycle from occurring. So I really love that bathroom tip because it's just really simple. And all of us, when we feel that urge coming up to step into our role, can so easily do that. And I also really like the other suggestion of just bringing it up as a conversation because often if it's been the way it's been forever, I mean, maybe someone else also acknowledges that but doesn't have the uh, the thought to raise it. And so you bringing it up could actually be really appreciated by them. You just don't know how it's going to be received. So two really, really amazing tips. Um, just before we go, I did want to ask you very, very quickly about kind of this difference between being burnt out or being kind of lazy and depressed. I know it's something you speak about on your channel. And I just think it's interesting because there's a lot of type A personality people that are listening to this podcast who will push themselves. They have a tendency to try and be perfect all the time, even though we know that's an unrealistic standard. And so often you'll find yourself kind of overkilling it burning the candle at both ends, but then you almost fall into this like, oh, I'm so lazy. I'm not doing anything. And so just kind of curious. And I think it's healthy for us to maybe just talk about what's the distinguishing difference between them, because we can just be like really hard on ourselves, but also on the flip, you know, if we're being lazy and calling that out as burnout, I feel like we also need a little bit of a wake up call too. So just interested to hear your thoughts on the difference. Yeah. And unfortunately we get them all tangled up, right? Even de- I throw depression in there too, or anxiety, because sometimes we don't really know where it's coming from. Um, so the interesting thing about laziness, let's start there. Cause I think we judge ourselves really quickly, especially if we are type A and I'll throw myself in the same bucket of, you know, that type of person. And it, it's good and it's bad, right? It has Blessing less than a curse. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it definitely harms us in some ways. Um, so laziness is when we could do something, but we don't want to. 
So just keep that in mind. I think that's a good place to start. Okay. Now, and I don't want to muddy the waters too much, but let's put laziness to the side. Let's talk about burnout. So burnout occurs when the reward for what we do. Now, often people think, oh, reward is financial. It could be part of it, but reward could be um, fulfillment. It could be the joy of watching your children grow up. It could be the challenge, learning things that are new, right? Whatever it is that excites you about your job needs to be at least commensurate with the effort you put in, if not greater than. We find slightly greater leads to less feelings of burnout, more feelings of the fulfillment and the enjoyment in life, and just overall less stress level, but at least commensurate with that effort. Now, nothing is perfect. Effort's going to go up and down, and that's when we'll start to experience some of those symptoms. Now, things that the thing about burnout that's interesting is when, let's say, our reward is really low and our effort is really high for a year, right? Let's say we're launching a new thing. There's no money in it. And we're not reaching people yet, but we're doing it. Ugh, the grind, <laughs> right? So during that time, the the part of our brain that's it's our called our limbic system and it's it's responsible for fight flight freeze it's also responsible for like um all kind of all of our like kind of motivational feelings it starts to get overwhelmed it starts to get overworked because we're not giving it enough of a breakthrough and it sounds weird to call a break reward but when we feel rewarded that that feels good for our system and we come out of that threat response we don't feel so overwhelmed we don't feel so threatened. And I know we use the term threat to think like, oh, it's something that could hurt me. But think about like your emotional and physical safety. Emotional safety can mean that like I'm putting in all this effort and not getting anything out and it feels pretty terrible. Mm. I'm pretty down. That's a threat to your emotional safety. So our body comes to our aid and it readies us to take action. And when it's happening all the time, a few things happen in our brain. Our amygdala gets larger, which means we're more re- overreactive. We probably lash out at people we don't mean to. We're super irritable. We'll start to feel the symptoms of burnout happen. We have no patience for things. We start to resent this effort. We're like, oh, if I have to do that one more time. Like all of it just seems, it's like when any any of us feel, mm -hmm, and we have no resilience left. We've burnt it out, right? So that's happening. And then also the little pathways in our brain where we send signals to do, to put in more effort are essentially like a a road that hasn't been repaved in like 40 years. It starts to get like rocky. So what we're asking our brain to do, it tends to like misfire. We can feel like we need to focus on this thing and we just, we can't, we're doing this other thing. Motivation is nowhere to be seen. Exactly. And concentration is really hard. And so it's almost like it fights against us. So laziness, go back to laziness, doesn't have anything to do with irritability It doesn't have anything to do with resentment. It doesn't have anything to do with us feeling like this just isn't panning out. We can have like a lot of self-doubt when we're burnt out. Laziness is meh. I could, but I don't want to. Laziness is the golden retriever. That's the image I'm getting. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. It's just meh. Burnout is I'm so agitated. I'm so, it's it's very amped up. Mm Mm-hmm. If it goes untreated, this is the reason we get it confused with like depression, anxiety symptoms, but if it goes untreated, it can turn into depression or anxiety. And that's why it's really important for us to recognize. And I even remind myself this all the time. I'm not a robot. I can't work all the time. Breaks are just as important. I did a workbook 
recently actually have it here to show. I encourage anybody that's type A, it's called the artist's way. Beautiful. If you guys have it, it is essentially, it's, it's about creativity, but it's really about allowing for breaks to get breath back in. A lot of our life is breath out, right? I'm putting energy out. <sighs> Naturally, our body can't survive if we keep breathing out. We'll like pass out. Bunk. And that's burnout. We aren't giving enough breath in. We need to make space for, for joy, for connections with people, for relationships. And yes, we can say as type A people like, well, it's just not, that's not like moving the needle. And <laughs> but it's, it's just as if not more so important because we can't do the other if we don't first take care of ourselves. And yeah. I know we hear that all the time with like self-care, blah, blah, blah. But I'm not talking self-care like I need a vacation. I need a massage. I need those things too. But I'm talking about self-care like I'm sleeping enough. I'm eating regularly balanced meals. Notice I didn't say healthy. Everybody needs a burger, pizza, whatever sometimes, and that's fine. There's no judgment. Are you exercising? Are you taking your medication as prescribed? Are you making time for real connection? Are you showering? Like those are basic ways for us to bring up kind of that, that reward in a way that allows us to sustain the effort. And yeah. it's hard. I'm there with you teeter tottering between, um, I wish it was like something we could just, I'm work-life balanced, <laughs> but I think for a lot of us, we have to, you know, do some of that self-care regularly so that we can continue doing the work that we do. Absolutely. And you're hundred percent speaking my language. I actually really, um, I'm an advocate against work-life balance because I feel like that formula is so jarring and doesn't actually make sense for the way our life works. And so what I encourage listeners to do, which is, you know, you've really just touched on it there, is to work out your non-negotiables in the three areas of your life, being your health, your relationships, and your fulfillment, which, because I agree, like you said, when I started the podcast, I did call that third category work, but I changed it to fulfillment because there are so many things like studying, being a full-time parent that are fulfilling, that are not classified as work. And so basically, if you can get to the bottom of, okay, what are the non-negotiables, not things I would like to do, not things that are extra that would add a bit of sparkle in my week. It's the non-negotiables, your sleep, your movement, you know, how much quality time do you need with your partner? How many, how many times a week do you need to see your friends in order to feel like, you know, you're sustaining that? Because these areas are like gardens, right? So it's just like, what's a little bit of water and sunlight they need across a week? And that's your unique balance. So I'm a huge advocate for that kind of formula, which offers a lot more flexibility. And I think if we loop that back into the concept of burnout, when we start to feel these symptoms coming up and we start to notice ourselves going down that path, it's generally because we've been slack on one of our non-negotiables. And often as type A, it's when we are so hyper-focused on our to-do list, we're not focused on our non-negotiable list, uh, which you know is actually more important because it gives you the energy to actually sustain efforts in all these areas. So you're absolutely speaking our language and, and these are things that ebb and flow as life goes on. I don't think it's, I don't think the goal should be to get it perfect. I think the goal should be to have an idea of what you need and every day reassess, check in and, and feel free to like change it as it goes on. So yeah, I think that's um, a really beautiful place to leave our conversation today. And I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show because I really appreciate your content and the work you do. So I'm going to put links to um, your, your channel in the, in the show notes, but if people want to connect with you, where are some other spots you hang out on socials and I'll add those as well. 
Yeah, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, everywhere. Well, I guess X, what do we call it now? But anyway, all <laughs> social media, just as Katie Morton. I'm on TikTok, um, depending on what kind of content you want. If you want bite size, if you want longer form. She you know, serves it all up. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time. And I look forward to continuing to connect. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs>